0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 9th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. In the final day of its term, the Supreme Court spoke to the circumstances in which unions may compel support from workers for some union activities. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, comments on the ruling. The Supreme Court ruled that home
1: health care workers could not be made to pay union dues Uh, as if they were public employees uh, under state subsidy schemes, which are themselves part of federal Medicaid, uh, which pay people to take care of uh, sick or disabled uh, persons at home. And very often, these are people who are taking care of their own family members and are getting a check from Medicaid uh, and the rationale for the program is that if you did not send them a subsidy to take care of their uh, demented parent or their handicapped child that, uh, they might have to be
0: institutionalized, costing everyone much more. Does it matter in in this case because uh, Justice Alito uh, writing for the majority uh, drew this distinction between fully fledged public employees and these other partial public employees? Does it matter that uh, whether or not these people were on payroll, with social security deductions, with various other things that you normally associate with what, what we would call full-fledged employment?
1: For the five-justice ju- majority, Justice Alito um, came up with a new concept not previously seen in the law of uh, partial public employee. And uh, in the case of these home health care workers really the state of Illinois uh, led by Governor Rod Blagojevich had deliberately reclassified them as public employees just for purposes of unionizing them because the SEIU and other unions have made this a big campaign they've approached sympathetic state governments uh, that um, are allied with the unions and so they took an employment relationship uh, which was kind of six of one half dozen of the other it was the uh sick person who had the right to hire and fire, although that's sort of notional if it's your own family member. Uh, It it was the sick person who could evaluate the performance. Um, Government pay was fixed by law, so it wasn't even a question of individual negotiations with the state over that. But there were also aspects where the state uh, underwrote some benefits and did some other things. So one of the big questions going forward as states try to decide whether these schemes are uh, covered uh, by the, the partial public employee category or not is um, uh, exactly how many factories point in one direction and, and not. And there's going to be gamesmanship here because the union is going to try to be recasting these programs in order to make the people look more like fully-fledged public employees
0: whenever they think they can, uh, uh, can, can do that the facts of this case make it i think less sympathetic you make make would make one less sympathetic to the government to the union this was a case where
1: it weighed heavily i think on both sides that these were no ordinary jobs and uh, If partial public employment meant uh, sending someone out with a government stipend uh, to a forestry operation or a cement plant or something and uh, there was partial employment by uh, some private entity, uh, I'm not sure the case would have turned out in the same way because there you would think traditional labor law. In this case, with so much of the workforce being family members, uh, it seemed different. It was different. uh, And although the... Uh, dissent, therefore, had a lot of uphill climbing, trying to reason away the fact uh, that uh, it was a domestic situation. It was clearly on the minds of the majority that uh, you were inserting union here, uh, not in a traditional workplace, but what was often in people's homes and people's own family relationships. It's very intimate, in other words. Yeah. Um, On day one, someone is collecting a check from Springfield for taking care of their beloved family member. Uh, On day two, uh, the check has suddenly gotten smaller because union dues have been taken out of it. Um, Now, maybe there was some vote held at some point, but uh, it seems different uh, than it does if you are going into a place of work at which um, many of the different working conditions are being affected in some way, by uh, grievance procedures or whatever. What is the grievance procedure when it's your own mom? And the the background is also important to sketch out because this case did not come out of a void. There's a 1977 precedent called Abud versus Detroit Board of Education uh, about the same issue in a context of public school teachers, and the argument there was uh, I should not have to pay union dues, not just for the uh, sliver of it that is for campaigning for candidates, but in general, uh, a lot of it is ideological, a lot of it with a public employee union is going to be working for public policies that I may not approve of, so argued the teacher. Um, uh, the teacher had a First Amendment objection to having to pay those union dues, and uh, booth lost the court's ruling in 1977 was, no, the First Amendment does not protect you as a full-fledged public employee from having to pay union dues. Now, in the years since 1977, the court has cast doubt on It has uh, raised the question of whether it's still good law or whether it should be revisited. And that's why in the lead-up to the new decision, Harris v. Quinn, There were really two big issues on the table. One of them was whether these home health care workers would be treated the same as public employees. And as we know, the answer to that is no, they uh, got their own different legal regime. Uh, But the second one was, would the court go ahead and completely topple Abood and uh, say that public employees generally did not have to pay union dues for things that implicated the First Amendment. That would have been massive, massive news. Uh, but the court did not do that. What it did was it undermined, it sapped Abood further. Justice Alito's majority opinion kept throwing in remarks suggesting that Abood did not rest on a very uh, well-reasoned basis and other things which are, they're like little pointing red flags saying, come back and challenge that. Bring us a really sympathetic case and you never know whether part of it
0: or all of it will collapse next time. So this was a in – a, in a smaller way, chipping away at this Abood precedent. But but there's a, there's another issue here, which is the fact that regular employment law would have governed if the government were not actually involved here. But the government is special in several ways uh, in, with respect to employment. The government is special and –
1: even if a boot falls at some point and you have a new right of uh, public employees not to pay union dues, that will not necessarily carry over to private unionism uh, for a couple of reasons, some of them historical, but also the government stands in its own special position. It needs to be neutral in a way that private employers do not need to be neutral. It has massive bargaining power in, in a way that will not always be true of a unionized private employer. Um, the government is held to certain types of due process standards. And for that reason, we have a whole body of uh, First Amendment law for public employees. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag and a balance angle balancing act, but it means that even though it would be fine for you to be fired from a private employer for certain types of expression, like off hours, writing letters to the editor, it's not necessarily fine uh, for that to happen to you as an employee of the government. And that was the body of law that the Supreme Court adapted here. One of the paradoxes is that the liberals and conservatives kind of changed sides over the last generation because it used to be that the liberals were the ones enthusiastic about wider First Amendment rights for public employees and the conservatives who would talk about management prerogatives and the need to keep a predictable workforce from the government's management interest. And uh, in the latest case, it was— the conservative majority that it turned into the paladins of individual rights of conscience for the individual employee. And it was the liberals led by Justice Elena Kagan, who had all the talk about management prerogatives. And look, if this is okay with management, then what are you doing listening to individual workers? You have to take management's word for it that this is the best way to manage the workplace.
0: And had this been a private sector case, this may these positions may have been reversed? Well, if it had been a private sector case, Um, the whole First Amendment
1: footing would have been different because uh, the the general status of private sector labor law is that unless there is a union contract to the contrary, um, the employer can fire you for writing a letter to the editor or for some other um, disagreement about uh, uh, first principles. And the, um, the court would have been Uh, hesitant, I think, to uh, drag into the private sector principles that uh, there's a a fair consensus for in the public sector. As well, uh, Justice Scalia uh, was thought to be specifically interested in maintaining freedom of contract for uh, private employment in particular. Uh, uh, It is an issue over the years if a private employer decides that a union will be good for uh, the workplace, uh, uh, should the employer have the right to uh, invite the union in. And uh, Scalia indicated in questioning that that remains an important vital part. Uh, One where freedom of contract Uh, interestingly overlaps with the positive interests of labor unions.
0: Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more on rules governing unions at our website, cato.org.